Welcome to the Home Care Hub, a podcast series for the Home Care Advocacy Network. HCAN is a business format franchise for senior living providers who want to operate a successful home care line of business and a great opportunity for any entrepreneur who wants to own their own home care franchise. To connect with us, visit hcanthrive.com today. Welcome to the Home Care Hub, a podcast series sponsored by the Home Care Advocacy Network. And today in studio, we have Dr. Joy Dahl. Welcome, Dr. Dahl. Thanks for having me. Excited to be here. Yeah, well, we are excited to have you here. We really started the Home Care Hub to discuss aging services issues. So things that are affecting anything in inside of aging services from how someone is actually aging, how you can improve that through various uh, means and modalities to like the services that affect all of us. Uh, today, we're going to be talking about promoting age-friendly health systems, something that we've done some work on to- together, but you've done a lot of work on this yourself. So we'd love for you to just share a little bit about yourself. Tell us about yourself. Sure. So I'm Joy. I'm an occupational therapist by clinical training and Occupational therapists help people do the things they need to do every day. So we're very focused on the individual's goals and objectives. We call them occupations. And so we work to help people either modify their environment or modify how they do a task to be able to be as independent as they desire. I don't provide traditional therapy anymore. I view myself more as a population health clinician, so advocating for improving healthcare delivery systems and I'm vice president of academic programs for Sync Health, and Sync Health manages the health information exchange for Iowa and Nebraska now, and prescription drug monitoring program, and a new social determinants of health platform called Unite Nebraska, which will actually be expanding to seven states. So what I do is I actually help people work together to translate that data to improve population health. So tell us a, a, a little bit more about what exactly, one of my first questions is, What exactly is a health information exchange? Yeah, so what's really interesting about healthcare is we transformed from paper records to uh, digital records in the electronic health record system. But what happened when that occurred is a lot of health systems chose different vendors and different systems, and those systems are not what's called interoperable, meaning they don't communicate. So if you go to an emergency department at a local health system here, and then you, a few days later, go to one in a different system, they can't see the records that are occurring outside of their own system. So a health information exchange pulls data from all electronic health records and puts it into a central repository that has a lot of privacy and security standards that allows us to do patient matching and look at where a patient has been, uh, whether they're accessing primary care or a hospitalization. And that the goal of it is really to make an interoperable system where we don't have to look for data Mm -hmm. and, and really to help patients and clinicians. So if you think about a clinical team, if they don't know their patient had an emergency department visit, they might not be able to intervene. But if they had access to that data, they would be able to make better healthcare decisions and patients as well. Tracking down health information should not be so labor intensive, but it currently is. Right. That's interesting. So uh, just a little bit of a tidbit. So, and this is relevant, not relevant, but I was impressed by it. So as a guy, I've notoriously tried to avoid the doctor, but it was, what was it? It was about five, maybe six years ago. I had to go to one of the local hospitals that I had gone to in 1995. So I was rooming with a bunch of 
other guys here in Omaha. I was right off of uh, Exarbon's campus at the time. And I accidentally uh, cut my finger, like had six stitches in my finger. I had to call my dad and say, hey, so, so sorry. And then he, you know, always calculated the cost of a stitch. <laughs> He's like, Mark, that's $150 per stitch. You know that, right? <laughs> that's why, you know, it's uh, growing up on a farm in South Australia. You just tried to not go to the doctor. But at the time, they grabbed my cell phone number in 1995 when this happened and Fast forward to like 2015 or 16, and they still had had my phone number in their system. Like That's I amazing. Was, I was impressed. Like through all the changes, yeah, from 1995 till 2015, they still had my phone number. But if I went to another hospital system, right, so a different system, uh, you know, in Nebraska here, it would have been like Nebraska Health System would have been the other system or one of the others. They, you know, they wouldn't have had my information potentially from that. Yeah. Correct. So, so you're talking that there's, there was all this change over the years and now various systems have popped up and they're not working together typically. Yeah. They don't data share. So, mm-hmm. and there's some ethics around this that, you know, some health systems and some organizations think that when you attend, go there, they own your health data. So there's actually some new federal legislation called the Information Blocking Rule that's going to prohibit uh, the prevention of data sharing from vendors like electronic health record vendors or health systems that have not wanted to share data because there's too many healthcare errors that occur from a lack of understanding. Mm. And in the state, we're actually incredibly lucky. In addition to the HIE, we have the Prescription Drug Monitoring Program. And it is uh, state legislated, so no one can opt out. So it's a almost complete data record. And all pharmacies in Nebraska report dispensed medication every 24 hours into the PDMP. So it was really built and championed by legislators like Sarah Howard, who had experience with a family member with opioid addiction. But in Nebraska, we're unique because it's all dispensed medications, even veterinary so that oh, prevents, wow. yeah. It's, it's, so for thinking about older adults when they're on polypharmacy, meaning they're on a lot of medications, if you take them to the emergency department, you can just have the person check the PDMP if you don't know what meds they're taking mm-hmm. or what they've been prescribed and what they've picked up. Because I know a lot of people don't know what medications their family members are on. So right. what's wonderful about that system is that is fully integrated. And at some health systems here, it's actually integrated into the electronic health worker. They don't even have to go out to another system. But the PDMP is available to anyone that prescribes medication in the state. So it's uh, it's almost like it's a it's a democratization of the data that right. should be should have been democratized, but some were trying to lay claim to it, right. and that prevents people from uh, receiving quality care, yep. the highest quality care. And Nebraska is the leading PDMP in the country. So it's so PDMP, the Prescription Drug Monitoring Program. Got so it. it's it's the most comprehensive, and it's kind of like this little secret. You know, not a lot of people know about it, but it's a huge value. A lot of states that have them only have opioids or controlled substances, but we have all dispensed medications. Mm. And the, the reason why I'm saying dispense means that they actually came to the pharmacy and got it. It wasn't just prescribed mm-hmm. because many people get prescribed medications, but they never pick them up. Right. So what as a patient advocate or a caregiver, knowing that you can ask that information a lot of people, I think, don't know that, that they have a right or that that isn't a record that someone can look at. So, you know, mm-hmm. recently I was helping a family member. They thought she had a little heart scare. And I was like, well, what medications are you on? And she's like, oh, I don't know what I take. 
So in that situation, which is very common, especially among older adults, you can ask, which is really important. That's fascinating. We work with, so HCAN, you know, we work with a lot with, and this is kind of more of an aside, but along with medications. So some of the work that we do in the home, similar maybe to occupational therapy, we've talked about these home care and OT as being cousins in the healthcare spectrum. But, you know, I remember that probably the, the most challenging story was working that I've had is working with a family and everyone always ensures that family members, or they try to, that if they're prescribed medications, that they they take their medications and did grandma get her medications today? And that's great. Unless like you can also ensure, like you really also need to ensure, and this is what home care helps, that she's also getting food, mm-hmm. that she's also getting water along right. with her medications. And what happened in this situation, we were working with the family, two sons and a daughter they were mulling over the decision whether or not to purchase home care services. And it is confusing at times for people because there's a question of, okay, well, how much, how much service does mom really need? How much does she want? But the family had stated like we, she's getting her medications every day, but we're really concerned that she's not getting enough food and water. And that ended up being too, way too taxing on this individual's body And we knew that, and um, she ended up having a pretty serious health event literally just a couple weeks after we had met with them and said how critical it was that grandma gets food, that Mm -hmm. she gets water with the medications. And it was like 12 or 14 medications on a daily basis, two to three times a day. I I couldn't believe it. I was was shocked. It's actually not uncommon. I mean, polypharmacy, you know, it's about four or five medications, but it's very mm-hmm. common for people. And sometimes they don't even know they're on more than one blood pressure medication because no one's done what's called me- medication reconciliation where you look at it. The other thing you have to keep in mind with older adults, and I'm not a pharmacist, but um, I'm lucky to know many is that as and see this as a clinician, that as older adults age, they the way their body takes in medications and metabolizes them varies. So you got to look at mm-hmm. dosing. And medications, you're right. Some needs to be taken with food. Some need to be yeah. taken at certain times. And when people throw something in a pillbox, that negates a lot of the the specific things that mm. need to occur. So, you know, with the prescription drug monitoring program, people can get access to that medication reconciliation and see, does this person need to be on that many medications? Right. I mean, I was recently talking to someone that said they had this friend that's homeless. They're trying to help. And they were on like 26 medications. And I said, that seems ridiculous. Let's that they need Medicaid, go to the pharmacy, get medication reconciliation, go to their provider. if they have one. So now that's similar to now Maryland is another state that's similar. Yeah, they have. um, Yep. They have um, a lot of states have PDMP. There's actually a few that don't. Um, The health information exchanges were really set up to be until our prescription job my state based but mm-hmm. like in our hie we have four million records which is more than the state of nebraska so people cross borders for care which I is see. why we used to be the nebraska health information initiative and we changed our name to sync health because we are now um, supporting the iowa hie and the reality is people don't stay within a state to receive care mm-hmm. they shouldn't have to they should go where the best care is. And so that then generates records whenever they enter the other state, whether they stay there. Got it. Well, great work. So one of the things that we wanted to discuss today was promoting age-friendly health systems. 
So there is this division that we've discussed between health systems and the long-term care system that exists. Let's talk just for a little bit in your perspective, like what is age-friendly care and what should that look like? Yeah, so age the concept of age-friendly care came out of the John Hartford Foundation and the Institute for Healthcare Improvement, and it focuses on four M's. And the first one is what matters, so what matters to the older adult, the people that are being engaged, the family, things like that. Um, mentation, which is, you know, thinking about planning prevention and wellness mm-hmm. planning ahead, which is what you were just talking about. Yep. Don't wait till there's an event, right? That's right. Um, mobility, how someone can get around, what's the balance in mobility versus they need to move versus what's safe. You know, I've used to do a lot of home safety evals and Yes, it's great to do laundry, but don't climb on the washer to get your detergent, things like that. Very good, yeah. yeah, The balance. And then the last is medication. As we've already talked about, polypharmacy is a huge problem. People get prescribed medications, don't know when to stop them. They may go in for a hospitalization and get put on something, and they don't ever get discharged from it. So it's looking at those four things. Obviously, there's more to access and ensuring But that's kind of where it starts. And so the goal of it is to think about what needs to be in place in health systems to make them age-friendly, that older adult populations are unique and have unique needs. We also have a a large older adult population and a smaller workforce to, to help them. So we have also the unique needs of what people who are, you know, staying healthier longer want, you know, staying in their Mm -hmm. homes, you know, not going into care. And then unfortunately people don't, in my experience, don't do a good job of planning ahead. So yeah. an event happens and then they're like, oh my gosh, what? where do we put mom or dad? And they haven't thought through. So the concept is to build systems that make them more accessible for older adults to understand and plan. And then there's just a lot in the healthcare marketplace for older adults, you know, when it comes to the continuum of care. And so do families know all those options and understand? So yeah, yeah. knowing and understanding that is uh, like even, so my wife, for a season, couple seasons, and we have good friends who are actually part of HCAN are as invest part of a, like our investor group. They are in um, the Medicare sales mm-hmm. world, sure, and they work so diligently to educate people on the various plans. I am not looking forward to that season of my life when I have to like balanced this unique risk with my growing health concerns and my desire to keep health care for myself economical. Yeah. It's it's really tough. Yeah. So my parents are on Medicare now and, you know, like we talk about their plan, I'm their power of attorney and all of that. We actually, my parents are actually donating their bodies to be cadavers Mm -hmm. when they, you know, we went through all of that. And so they are really good at planning ahead and talking it through, but you know, they don't really take any medications right now. So they wanted a lower cost drug plan. But if they did have to, and that happens in the middle of the year, they could have huge financial repercussions. And so right. how do you do that? And then, you know, even working with a lot of healthcare clinicians, they don't understand the business side of healthcare or mm-hmm. insurance or how that works. And so they yeah. don't know how to advise. I mean, people often think Medicare is free. And it's right. not, right? So how do you figure out what plan's best for you? And and it's comp it's very complex. And then they should probably look at it every year because you yeah. should adjust based and that's different than employer based insurance where basically you're like, Do I want a deductible or not want a deductible? Right. Yeah, the Medicare right. system is a lot more complicated. Now there's lots of options, which is nice, but a lot of times people don't even know what they need till they need it. So Yeah. 
So one of the things you and I have talked about heading into this episode was that less than half of hospitals share data with long-term care facilities. Why is the data that is critical to promote connection and more educated care not easily accessed? And it's really, is it just this idea of interoperability? So that's one issue. You know, the other is discharge planning and making sure things get passed on and, and you know, different health systems handle that in different ways. And sometimes mm. when decisions are made quickly, that that can be challenging and families, you know, everyone's trying to make a fast decision. But, uh, yeah, interoperability so often they don't have the same documentation systems. There's no way actually to share. And unfortunately, right now, a lot of onus is on patients and families to mm. get their data and share that. They may share some data, but it's not at a level that the facility needs. Yeah. Um, so there's actually some pretty uh, significant research coming out about how problematic this is. I mean, we actually just had a conversation that this happens uh, for the homeless population as well. So the mm -hmm. readmissions for homeless individuals are really high. Well, the shelters, we, we're working on a health and housing coalition um, on the concept of medical respite, which is a place for people to go that they're homeless, but they don't need a hospital, but they can't go to a shelter because they can't take care of them. Yeah. And the shelters told us they literally call the ambulance when a lot of these people come to shelter because they can't help them. And they're actually requesting, hey, we could help you tell you if this person can discharge safely here or not. So there's, I think the there's a desire to share data and see why that's important, but the systems are just complex and yeah. you have to build what's called APIs, which are interfaces and there's costs to that. Now there's federal dollars right now through the high tech act to make connections. So that's why we're working really hard mm. at sync health to get organizations connected. And then for example, you know, if there's a cyber attack, the HIE is a backup system you know, if some you can't access your records. There's also, you know, registries at the state. So there's an immunization registry. I recently pulled down from that for my son's immunizations for kindergarten that, you know, and I think with COVID vaccines, these immunization registries will become very important because actually NPR yesterday had an article about the challenges with vaccine distribution and tracking and who's had one and who isn't because our disparate systems don't communicate to each other. So... Even uh, COVID testing, a lot of times that was a siloed. Um, now, our organization actually built that so it feeds in and, and connects. But a lot of states, that's relying on the patient to report to their provider. I've had a COVID test. It was negative. Or I've been vaccinated. I mean, all the vaccinations right now, it's it's a piece of paper. Right. I, I saw that. <laughs> yeah. That's crazy. I know. Well, there was no, uh, there's no national system to you know, track and monitor that and states have different, not every state has registries and things like that. They're so I'm trying to think back when I was vaccinated heading into my, you know, I suppose my kindergarten year, 1979, 81, there was like a vaccination card, right? That mm -hmm. my parents yeah, tracked. tracked and held on to and still had then. So we really haven't like that part really hasn't changed much no, since 1980 <laughs> or 81, potentially. Right. So my son was vaccinated and then our provider left. So we switched systems. And so they only, I had to provide them his, or I had to request, they request wow. those records. So yeah, it's, it's not, it doesn't just naturally happen. You yeah. have to say like, Hey, he's been vaccinated here. You know, my daughter, for example, has had vision screenings at school. And then when we went for her well visit, they're like, well, why haven't you had your vision screen? And I'm like, well, she's had it screened every year at school. I have these records. But they don't, 
it's done at school and it doesn't go into a record. By a healthcare professional at school, but it doesn't go into yeah. yeah. So there's a lot of disconnections that we could bridge beside, you know, for older adults. I mean, for all, all ages. And so, but when you think about older adults is their hair, care is increasingly complex as they have chronic disease management medications it's really imperative that right. data is shared so that you can help and and think about i mean i haven't obviously transitioned in long-term care facility but i worked in many of them. that's a huge adjustment in someone's life you've taken away their huge. home yep. you know and then you know then they're with these group of people that don't know anything about them they don't even know you know which which think about i mean i i just always go back to the patient like the reason why I'm an advocate for this is because patients need need better and, and clinical teams need better. So how do we make that happen? Yeah, that is crazy. So it's a big challenge happening right now. And some some would even argue on the like I've seen are like people are afraid to be known that they like some people are afraid to like have their name written that they've that they have had a vaccination as well. There's a balance between people wanting to protect their health information as well as having it be known inside of a public record as well. Yeah. So that's a really important part. So HIPAA, the Health Information Privacy Portability Act, you know, was actually created before we had EHR. So, you know, we all have to follow HIPAA. Data security is incredibly important. When anyone wants to look at data for research purposes, there's really strict data governance and data mm -hmm. has to be de-identified or what's called a limited data set. So we might provide age, mm -hmm. but there, we don't provide any data to people where there's low counts or there's a risk of someone could be identified. So yeah, that's I incredibly gotcha. important. Um, I actually at my work do a lot with extracted data, but I don't even have access to those tools. So it's really who needs them. Now, what's going to be really interesting is if we give records to patients and create a longitudinal health record. Interesting. Are they yep. going to use it? Are they going to find it of value? Certainly some people will. Some people will find it overwhelming. And I, I think mm -hmm. that we haven't really wrestled through some of that stuff yet. Right. So you and so I have talked about that as well. Like it sometimes like the limit, like you just because you can get data either as a provider or as a patient, like, are you, go are you using it? Right. Do, do you need it? Yeah. Like. Well, and I think data without utility, what's the point of it? Yeah. I think the other thing is you have to remember why data is collected in healthcare. It's collected for reimbursement and for payment. So the data that's collected about, yes, it's for clinical decision-making, but a lot of what's in EHRs is codes. And when we talk about codes, what's paid we mean, for, what's I see, yeah, what's paid what for. What's, yeah. So, um, you know, and data is only as the data on the back end is only as good as what people input in. So there's also this health data competency piece that we're really focused on. How do we help providers know what to document and how to document it? How do we help them, you know, speak when they speak different languages across professions or in work settings, you know, care settings? How do they be able to read a record and it be a value? Because to me, data without utility, what's the point? Right. right. So, uh, you know, when we look at your work at Sync Health. And if you had a magic wand, you could wave it at the challenges that you see healthcare professionals and consumers have. What would you wave it at? Yeah, well, one of the first things I would do is uh, uh, quicken and make it simpler, the move from volume to value. So care is paid for in a volume-based fee-for-service model or a values-based, which is what the government CMS is trying to move us mm -hmm. to. It's hard. Change is hard. Healthcare is really complicated. So it'd be great if we could take a magic wand and just move to that. But it's not so easy. 
The other thing is that, you know, make interoperability possible. But with that, think about what kind of training do we need for clinicians to look at different data and what our patients really need and how do they find value in using that? And that's probably generational. It's probably, Mm -hmm. you know, based on your health literacy levels, maybe your cultural beliefs about health. And so, you know, how can we create something that's meaningful? Because I worry we are going to create and and make data accessible to people, but they won't find it helpful. The clinicians certainly will. They'll find a way to Mm -hmm. use that data. But, you know, are patients really going to value that? Do they really want to know what's in their record? What do they want to know? And I don't think we've gotten there yet on that that piece of it we're so trying to just remedy all these problems and you know electronic health records created a lot of issue with burden for providers too so the other magic wand i do is alerts and things that feed in so for example i go to the emergency department my primary care provider is notified i don't have to call them i don't have to tell them the next time i go for a visit if i go for a follow-up say you know an older adult has had a fall and then they go to their for a follow-up that provider should know that's why they're coming, right? There should be right. alerts that say, or, hey, this person's gotcha. been prescribed a medication that's dangerous for them. Like, alert, you know? So somebody can manage care better, um, and it's not the, – the burden should not be on the family and patient, but right now it is. Yeah, right. So have an advocate, or you can advocate for yourself, and you do really have to have eyes wide open mm-hmm. – as a family, especially as you age too, because I think, you know, we all kind of forget like, oh yeah, I did have an issue like, yeah, two years ago or yeah, I did have, you know, it could even be as serious as, um, I remember five or six years ago, just having a discussion with my father-in-law and he said, yeah, you know what? I did have like, yeah, like 10 years ago, I had this spell of blood clots, but you know, it lasted like excellent. Well, critical information, right. but it was on him to remember that no one, no one else, taking care of him, if he had switched systems, had access to, you know, to that. So it's critical to, for us to kind of begin to figure this out, especially with an aging population that it's hard to keep track of. Well, the other thing is that's really, you know, a burden on patients to have to tell their patient medical history over and over and over. Yeah. I mean, you should be able to look at that before you walk into a patient and say, yeah. like, oh my, oh, okay. So I see you've had this, like, wouldn't that be a better conversation? The other thing I think is if I had a magic wand, I'd wave towards all the wearables and the things we use that are collecting health information. So, you know, I track my steps, but then I still go and my provider's like, oh, how much do you exercise? Well, there's actually data mm-hmm. that shows what it is, and, but it's not being shared with them. They don't have access to it unless yeah. I tell them like, oh, hey, I monitor my steps and I get a minimum of this every day. And you know, I'm, I'm track those things. The other thing I would like to see is a focus on resiliency. Like there are things we do right in healthcare and that patients do right. And we should recognize that, right? Like it's not, we focus a lot on wrong in yeah. the medical model, you know, what's not going well. And like, for example, care in-home caregiving, if it can keep someone in their home and it's very cost effective, uh, we should invest in that and reimburse that versus like long-term care, right? So how do we start to look at what's working and say, okay, like this is keeping these people aging in place. And I think there's some work in that area with CMS is doing their innovations projects, but what, you know, those need to be diffused and put in more places. 100%. Yeah. And I would say, so a couple of things I think on, you know, in, on that note, we're going to have an, uh, we have somebody on our show here 
and I forget the name of his company, but they basically are in place to help patients or help clients be advocated for who have long, they purchased long-term care policies Mm -hmm. and they have home care provisions. And even though you have like the loss of an activity of daily living, which oftentimes triggers the long-term care policy, it is a complicated nightmare mess for a family to actually receive the benefit from their own long-term care policy. It becomes kind of a nightmare for families most of the time. Mm And I think the whole long-term care insurance and the way we look at long-term care and the way you can invest in yourself being able to be better supported later on, there's a lot to getting creative and seeing some innovation. There's been actually some good innovations through life insurance. So Mm -hmm. you can actually, we had one of our guests on here on the Home Care Hub and they have a product. It's a Nebraska company where if you have a life insurance policy, a specific type of one, and you experience loss of one or two ADLs, you can actually access part of your death benefit to provide for your long-term care, which is very different Mm -hmm. than long-term care policies of the past. And I would also say, you know, there's been discussion within the healthcare world for years about transparency and pricing. Mm -hmm. So, but the, and so there has been this shift about 15 to 20 years ago to high deductible health plans. And when insurance companies came in and said, you have a choice, you can go with kind of your standard plan or and have a, have a higher monthly amount you pay or this high deductible plan and you know, you're gonna have just a higher deductible and now they're up to like on the exchange, some of the deductibles are up to like $14,000. Mm-hmm. Insurance companies have kind of self-insured themselves against taking on any costs, but there, there was an encouragement of consumers to, well, ask your provider, uh, you know, ask them how much it's going to cost. Like if you go in for an x-ray, ask the person. And that is an absolute, it's still an absolute nightmare for consumers to go in and say, hey, how much is that scan going to cost? You almost feel like you're trying to cheapen your loved one's experience at the provider's office because I think a lot of times the experience is, well, we would have to check with the business office. Right. You know, why, know, why are you asking? Yeah. Well, I was told to ask how much the x-ray should cost. So like just briefly with my son, he had um, shoulder surgery in 2019. So it was like an emergency situation. He had to go in the next day to have a biopsy. But my wife asked, she said, you know, just, just curious, we're on a high deductible plan. How much is that here? And would they finally, after about 45 minutes of looking, it came back, it was $1,300. And then they, we were recommended then, she was like, now it's just a scan. They're like, yep. So you can go down the street at this place, get the same scan, and it was $400. Mm-hmm. So when we went, because we're paying cash anyway. Right. Right. So the transparency of pricing, just yeah. we've been encouraged for years to take that route with providers, but it's just, it's still a pretty nasty experience. Well, most providers don't know. I would say I've never known what I was charging patients, Mm -hmm. which, you know. So interesting. It is so interesting because what other organization do you have that? And and the the challenge with health is, it's not black and white, right? But yeah, yeah, so actually the 
the previous administration, well, no matter how you feel about them, sure. had done a lot with price transparency and, and some policies to try to promote more of that. Uh, it gets really complicated, uh, and that's something that people don't realize as far as, you know, that there are negotiated rates and a clinic might take insurance from all these different places. So, right. yeah, but you can ask for especially pre-estimates. So when my daughter had her adoenectomy, I asked for a pre-estimate, you know, and, and it actually ended up being uh, less than they said. So you do mm-hmm. have a right. You do have to call the business office and you have to advocate. I mean, they called me about something with the pharmaceutical and I said, well, did you read her chart? Because they told me she just has to take uh you know, an inset and I can get that at the pharmacy for much cheaper than hmm. you're going to give it to me for. And they kind of fumbled around. But right. I, I also have some knowledge about and can challenge some of those things. Right. So, right. Because, you you know, the other thing, your point you're making is where care delivered varies the cost. So getting an x-ray in an emergency department is going to cost you a lot more than mm-hmm. going somewhere else. And uh, there are hospital-based rates that there are I mean, there's all kinds of things. And, yeah. and I only know about a lot of this business side is because I had the opportunity to help uh, CHI set up a clinic and, and had to learn a lot because we were trying to do some innovative things. But I really realized I had no knowledge of the business side and that it made it really hard for me to help advocate when I didn't understand. So I basically self-studied yeah. reimbursement. And it's a constantly changing field. So so complicated. It um, is. And that's why we're so grateful to have such a great mind on it, you know, here in Nebraska, like you working at Sync Health. And um, it's always a pleasure to talk to you, Joy. You're brilliant. And we love to chat with you as much as we possibly can. Yeah, thanks. Fun. Thank you so much. Thank you for listening to The Home Care Hub, a podcast series for the Home Care Advocacy Network. HCAN is a business format franchise for senior living providers who want to operate a successful home care line of business and a great opportunity for any entrepreneur who wants to own their own home care franchise. To connect with us, visit hcanthrive.com today.